Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. And today, my guest is a professional women's bowling association bowler, a trailblazing athlete, and the first woman to join the Men's Professional Bowling Association Tour. She's won the prestigious USBC Queens event, which is the equivalent of the Masters in Golf in professional bowling. She's a member of Team USA, along with being an entrepreneur, a wife, a proud mom, and has been named to the Bowler's Journal International Magazine list of top 100 coaches on eight different occasions. She's also a Cal State Fullerton Titan, and when at Cal State Fullerton, had a stress management class with my mentor, Dr. Ken Revisa. Melissa Parkin, aka Missy Parkin, welcome to the Mental Performance Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here and, you know, so many connections from our time together with Team USA or Cal State Fullerton or both having kind of Ken Revisa in class. And then one of the coolest things that has been part of my mental performance career was when we were, I was at Cal State Fullerton with her softball team. And I think there was fires that were rolling into the area and the air condition was, air quality was so poor that I think you couldn't go outside. So in a panic, I called and said, hey, miss, I'm on campus. We can't go outside would you be able to come over to Cal State Fullerton and speak to the softball team about kind of your mental performance routines? And you showed up to the bowling center. We were down there and you put on a clinic of clinics when it came to breathing, routines, visualization, and everything that goes into one shot at a time is a bowler that also fits into one pitch at a time, whether it's baseball or softball. So, so much greatness to get into today. For our listeners, I know women's professional bowling is, is, is not as mainstream as professional baseball or the NHL or the NBA, but Missy Parkin is one of the top women's bowlers in the world. So this is like having the Mike Trout of women's bowling, if we could say that, if that's a connection. So Missy, <laughs> let's kind of go back to where it started for you. You got into bowling at a very young age. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about kind of your journey as an athlete in bowling and where that all began? Yeah. So I actually started bowling when I was two and a half years old. Hmm. Um, my father was a professional bowler and he also owned a bowling pro shop, like similar to like a golf pro shop. And so I literally grew up inside a bowling center and I absolutely loved it. And uh, my dad never, my dad was always my coach too growing up. And he never like forced me to go practice or anything like that. Uh, we had a great relationship and I just wanted to bowl every single day because I loved it. And that's really where it all began. You know, and if you, if you look at baseball, softball, they call it throwing a perfect game where you get every batter that you face out. The equivalent of that in bowling is bowling a 300. It's a perfect game. And you had your first perfect game, a 300, when you were just 14 years old. And then in the coming weeks, you had two more perfect games. What was it that just clicked for you at that time? And what was it like to get that first 300 game and then to get two more so quickly? Uh, it was really crazy. I mean, at the time, I don't think I really realized how big of a deal that was. Uh, obviously my first 300, I was extremely excited. I was nervous. I totally remember my knees shaking on the final shot. <laughs> and then, um, I think, so the very next week I actually shot my second 300 game. And I think honestly, my mind frame or my mindset at the time was like, well, I just did this last week. We'll see what happens. But I was like more relaxed about it because I was like, well, I just did this last week. We'll see. Maybe, maybe I strike, maybe I don't. And I shot another one. And then uh, a few months later, I shot my third one. And to look back on that, I was in eighth grade. That's crazy. 
<laughs> so really cool stuff. Um, definitely gave me a bunch of confidence for sure. And at that time too, we, I was competing in what's called junior bowling. And at that time, junior bowling could compete at any age up to the age of 21, sometimes even 22, depending on when their, their birthdays fell. So I was competing against girls or women up to 21, 22 years old. And uh, I started winning, started winning events. And I think that my very first 300 kind of had this awesome snowball effect of just a lot of confidence building. And I just kept winning events. And it was a really, really good year. So you're 14 years old. You're competing against adults, 21, 22 years old. You're winning these events. And then at age 18, you become the youngest bowler ever to earn a spot on Team USA. What was it like achieving that big of an honor at such a young age? Uh, that was crazy. Um, it had always been one of my dreams. So our team USA program at the time, uh, it was really difficult to try to qualify for it. So you had like a regional competition. And then if you made the X amount top in your regional competition, you got to go to state. And then from state, you got to go to the national championships. Well, at 14 years old, when I was in the midst of all these 300s and stuff, I actually had qualified for my team USA state finals. And at that time, we're bowling against people any age, absolutely any age. California was a very dominant state, having very good amateur bowlers. And when I was 14, I actually qualified to go to the national um, finals for team USA or team USA trials. And I was the youngest to ever do that then. And so from the time I was 14 until 18, I had gone every single year trying to compete. And I had actually been able when I was 16 to uh, compete as part of Junior Team USA. We really didn't have a Junior Team USA every year per se at that time, um, but I was able to actually compete on Junior Team USA and bowl uh, internationally. So that was a really cool opportunity. So then finally to break through when I was a senior in high school, uh, that was definitely unheard of at the time. Everybody that was on Team USA was either in college or well out of college. And so it was crazy. It was amazing. It was some, one of my biggest goals at the time, but it was also very different because I was definitely a lot younger. So maturity wise, totally different ball game, but it was really nice to be able to learn from some of the best bowlers uh, in the world at the time being so young. Mm. And, then, and then you go into college and professional bowling and now you're competing against both women and men and you are the first woman to join the men's PBA tour. What's it like being such a trailblazer in your sport? It's, you know, I think when I'm actually going through it and those events in my life are actually happening, I don't really realize how big of a deal they are at the time. And now looking back on some of those things, I can really, you know, think about the true greatness of all of those things that I accomplished. But when uh, I was right when I graduated college, um, I, my, my goal always was to go out on tour and bowl the women's uh, professional bowling tour. And so that was always my dream growing up. I mean, if you asked me when I was in kindergarten, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer was always, I want to be a professional bowler. So in the spring of 2003, this is like a semester before I graduated, the women's tour folded hmm. and it went away. And I was devastated. I mean, that was my entire life's dream. And so I graduated in uh, the, the spring of 04 and Right then, the men decided, since 
the women had nothing to bowl. They decided to open the membership up to women. And I jumped at the opportunity. And for me, that was a big deal because I was still an amateur. So I would lose my amateur status. And for me, it was a no brainer because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And that was the only avenue for me to do that. So what was it, what was it like giving up that amateur status, going into now compete with, with the men in, in professional bowling? How, how much of a, of a challenge was that? And how different is it for you when you're competing against men and women? Or is, it, is your mentality kind of the same? So it is very different, I would say, competing against men and women. Um, just from a sheer like bowling perspective, women and men tend to play the lanes a little different as far as our styles go. Uh, so there's a big learning curve when I'm competing against the men versus competing against the women where more of the women might bowl more similarly to me, whereas the men have, you know, they're hooking a lot more of the lane, they have a much higher rev rate, more speed, more power. Um, but it's one of the sports that you can actually compete against men and women equally. Um, and fortunately, I've kind of proven that <laughs> throughout my career. Um, but it. For me also, I kind of competed against men or guys a lot of my life. Uh, so when I was young, when I was in junior bowling, this kind of started a little bit further back. When I was in junior bowling, um, we had a junior tournament club. So it was like um, a monthly to bi-monthly club that we competed in that were tournaments. And I had won, when, by the time I was 16, I had won 18 of these tournaments and you get like a banner with your name on it. And then you get stars for every tournament you won. Well, the banner was like so full. There was like pretty much no more stars on it. So the tournament directors actually came up to me and they're like, so have you ever thought about competing in the boys division? And I think some of the girls were getting a little <laughs> uh, upset that I was winning all of them. I don't know. But they were like, well, you know, there's a little more scholarship money. By the way, we want scholarship money. That's something a lot of people don't really realize that in bowling, when you're in junior bowling, you can win scholarship money for college. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, they were like, well, uh, if you bowl the, against the boys, there's more scholarship money. So why don't you give it a try? I'm like, okay. So I bowled um, against the boys and I won my first title. <laughs> the very first tournament I bowled, I, I beat the boys. So, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And they actually renamed the boys division the open division because I had done pretty well. Uh, in that. And then later in college, um, I actually competed for two years on our women's team. And then my junior and senior year, we actually didn't have enough women to field a women's team. So I actually competed on the men's team. And I anchored our men's team. And in bowling, when you're in team bowling, the anchor is your best bowler. Um, and so I anchored our team. And we actually finished uh, my junior year, we finished uh, in tied for third and fourth in the nation, which is the highest finish ever by a mixed team. There was myself and one other uh, female on our team. And that was awesome. That was one of the biggest things I had done in my career up until that point. And I actually got voted the most valuable player in the men's division uh, at our big like intercollegiate team championships. That's the big tournament at the end of the season for college bowling. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's so, so cool. You know, and you're, and you're, you're at Cal state Fullerton, you're competing at the highest level of collegiate bowling. And, you know, while you're at Cal state Fullerton, I was actually there at the same time. We didn't, we didn't know each other while we were there. 
Uh, but you had class with my mentor, Ken Revisa. So what, what, what do you, rem- you know, I'm, I'm always, we lost Ken in July of 2018 and I'm always um, interested in, in what students of his, because I had, I had a unique relationship with him as my mentor and a person who I idolized and wanted to be like and, and follow the path. And you had a stress management class with him, I think. What was that like being in class? What do you remember? Um, the main things that I remember is that he was electrifying. You know, there's those classes that you go into and if you're tired and it's the middle of the day or something like that, it's really hard to stay awake. That was never, ever the case whenever I was in one of his classes. Um, so it was always upbeat, always very interesting. Uh, and I just remember the energy. Awesome. You know, and when you talk about road to success, right? I mean, everyone's road to success and you've already, you've already mentioned a lot of the challenges and the difficulties that happened with the folding of the women's tour and going into now, you know, that you're winning so much in the, in the, in the, the girls that they say, Hey, why don't you go compete with the boys? They change it to the open. So your, your bowling career has had its share of challenges and difficulties that you've rose to the occasion that you've overcome on the personal side of things. You know, we look at every success story has challenges and difficulties. And, you know, you've, you've talked about the two miscarriages, one just prior to the PWBA tour coming back in 2015 and one while on tour in 2016. How did those experiences shape you as a, as a competitor and as a person? So those were some of my roughest, toughest times in my entire life. And, you know, in 2015, prior to that even, and, and I'm very open about all this. My husband and I had been trying to have a baby for a while, well before the tour came back. And we actually didn't think we could. And we were looking at uh, starting uh, an adoption process. And so we were about to adopt a baby. We were about to like pick an agency. We were right there. And then I was pregnant. I found out I was pregnant, which was amazing. And then unfortunately, I suffered a miscarriage just weeks before the tour was supposed to come back, which was the best news, uh, you know, and forever. That's what I really wanted to do my whole life. And so it was really difficult juggling those emotions because I finally had a women's tour. I could compete on full time and just compete against women. And then at the same time, I'm struggling with my personal life. And there's a couple other things that happened during that whole first year on tour that made it really difficult. And as much as we as athletes, we really try, you know, to leave our personal life uh, outside of, for me, the bowling center, sometimes it's really difficult. And especially in situations like that, where there's big life changing things that happen, uh, that made it extremely difficult. And especially then the second year to actually have a miscarriage while I was on tour, that was probably the hardest thing. I was actually at an event, um, I was in Nebraska. I was nowhere near my husband. My husband was not there. And the way that our tour schedule went, um, I decided to stay on tour. I had a special event in between events and I decided to still do it. And I didn't get to see my husband for like 10 days after that. And that was extremely difficult, extremely mm-hmm. difficult to kind of go through that alone. I mean, I had some really close friends that, you know, were trying to comfort me, but it's not the same as having your spouse there. And so that was really, really trying. And um, the next year, you know, for us, we just, for my husband and I, we we contemplated, okay, maybe we're not going to have any more kids. My husband was really not okay with having to go through that. And um, we actually had kind of stopped trying to have kids. And I got pregnant the following year. 
And again, it was during the entire tour season. So it was a little scary, but I fortunately now have my son and I was able to come through that and go through all of that. And I think because of that, it made me stronger. Mm. And I feel like now I have a little bit of an avenue uh, to kind of tell everybody else about those struggles, because I think it's, it's a subject that's kind of taboo that not a lot of people talk about. And unfortunately, it's, a, it's something that happens to quite a lot of people. And I know I felt completely alone when I was going through it. So for me, I think it helps to talk about it because if I just help one person that's mm. going through the same thing and maybe have them not feel alone, then I feel like it's worth telling my story. Oh, it's, it's so awesome that you're willing to share and, and tell that story. And, and Missy, having lived through those experiences, what would you tell other families that have suffered miscarriages? Uh, I would tell them to never give up, never, ever give up because, um, like my, like I said, before I even got pregnant the first time, my husband and I were trying for years and didn't think it was a possibility. And to also just, you know, be aware that there's always other avenues. Like my husband and I were looking at adoption and some, you know, some people, you know, don't want to go that route, but there is always that option. So if you really want to have a family, there is a way to do it. And even though, you know, some of these hard things happen, like miscarriages or worse, like stillborn births and stuff like that, um, or losing a really young infant, you know, you can get through it. You can absolutely get through it. And I know it feels like at that moment that maybe you can't, but trust me, things will get better and you can, you can get through it and maybe even, you know, have a miracle baby like I did. <laughs> You know, in, in addition to to being a miracle yourself and your story and everything that you've accomplished and everything that you've been able to overcome and be able to do, in addition to being a successful athlete, you're you're a mother of a two and a half year old. You're an entrepreneur. You're running Parkins Bowling Supply with everything that you have going on in your life, competing for Team USA, still competing at the highest level. How do you maintain focus as a competitor? So I think um, you've really helped me with that. To be perfectly honest. I think I always thought that I had very good time management skills, which I did, but you've just honed in those skills even more. And I think a big part of it is by scheduling out every single day and having my whole week scheduled. And to the point of now I even schedule up to every half hour. And as we all know, life happens and our nice little schedule uh, doesn't always you know, work out the way uh, we think it's going to when we write it out. But at least... I know what my most important things are that I need to get done every day. And uh, I schedule everything else around that. And then I'm able to, you know, adapt when certain crazy things pop up. So I think that really when you're a very busy person and you have multiple jobs, whether you're a working mom or dad or, you know, an, a student athlete, anything like that, you have to be able to juggle your time and you have to be able to utilize your time correctly. And I think that scheduling it is definitely one of the number one things I've learned from you. So thank you. Oh, oh thank you. What, um, you know, in addition to scheduling your time, I know there's, there's, you know, that time you talked to Cal State Fullerton, I wish there was a ESPN camera crew there because as you're sitting there talking to the softball team and they're, they're all dressed up in their Halloween costumes and we're at the bowling facility and you're going through your whole routine. I was like, this is a mental performance clinic. In addition to the time management piece that you feel like helps you to stay so organized with, with so much going on, what are some other mental performance techniques that you utilize either in your training, in your coaching, or in your competing? 
So I would say um, some of the most important things that I've utilized. One is meditation. That was something that was new for me. So I really hadn't done a whole lot of meditation and now I'm doing it five times a week minimum. Uh, so I think that that's huge. And that really helps me to stay in the present moment focus. And that was one of my issues um, that I was having prior to meeting you uh, was always being in the moment and being focused. Uh, I think another one that's really important is utilizing more mental imagery. I would do that before, but it wasn't scheduled. So I might say, hey, I want to do this this week. Uh, and maybe I do it once, but now I'm doing it five times a week. Um, so, you know, the more we mental, we practice our mental game, the better it's going to get, just like our physical game in any sport. So I think that that's something that not enough people utilize, especially at the highest level. At the highest level, it's all about mental. So we need to be putting as much effort in our mental practice as we are in our physical games and workouts. And so I think that those are some of the things that have definitely helped me the most. And I think from a mental aspect, I think one thing that was really uh, kind of a deterrent for me is sometimes, and I, I had this conversation with you early on, sometimes when I would wake up during tour, you know, we, we tour, our season is like usually from the end of April through the middle of September, and it's pretty nonstop during those months. And there would be some weeks where in the middle or towards the end where I'd wake up and I really didn't feel like bowling. Even though, you know, the day before I might've been so pumped up and excited, but I would wake up the day of competition and I wouldn't really be into it. And in my head, I felt like that was a huge problem. Like, oh my gosh, I can't now compete at the highest level. But you told me, hey, that's normal. And just to hear that, <laughs> was so eye-opening and reassuring like hey that's a normal part of being an athlete um and then you know to just really kind of say okay for these 25 seconds that I'm on the lane every shot I can be in the present moment and that's how you kind of go about it and and I think that was a huge piece for me personally because of what I was kind of feeling at the time yeah it's a lot of it is that is is Ken Revisa used to always say, he'd say you have a love-hate relationship with your sport and the higher you go, typically the more intense that love-hate relationship becomes because you love it because you've been doing it for so long. It's what you want to do, but you hate it because you do it so much all the time and it consumes your entire life. And sometimes you're like, God, is there something else that I can do? You know, or I don't feel like it all the time. What's wrong with me? Am I the only one that feels this way? And it's like working with a UFC fighter. And I've had the chance to work with five, five UFC world champions, every one of them in the locker room part of why they've wanted to start working together is like in the locker room, I get nervous and I get scared before the fight, something's wrong with me. I go, no, that's absolutely normal. You know, and, the, and when, the, once they learn that a George St. Pierre or a Rich Franklin or a Vitor Belfort, that they go through these same things, that the other best competitors in my sport on the planet experience these same things. Oh, well, I guess I'm not crazy. You know, I guess that, I guess that is normal, yeah. right? So yeah. I, think, I think that is take more confidence in that. Missy, if you would, you, you talked about the 25 seconds on the lane. And I think if you get a chance to, for the listeners, if they're watching bowling, if they're mm -hmm. watching golf, if they're watching even baseball or a free throw shooter in basketball, a field goal kicker in football, there's that moment of routine where you get the ball and you go and you, you throw your shot. A pitcher throws a pitch. A golfer steps up to the ball and takes a swing. 
Talk to us about that pre-shot routine that you go through in bowling. What are some of the key characteristics of that pre-shot routine from a mental game standpoint? And why is that? Why is a pre-shot routine so important for you? So a pre-shot routine is everything because it allows you to be able to be in the moment every shot and also allows you a shot to shot to have the same mentality. Whether or not the previous shot was good or bad, it doesn't matter. And it allows you to kind of refocus. So for me, my pre-shot routine, some of my pre-shot routines um, are like, I have like a little grip sack bag that keeps my hand dry. So that's in my hand. I always have that in my hand and then there's an air dryer um, by where the ball return is. So part of my pre-shot routine is I have my grip sack bag. I put it down. I dry my hand off. I do a practice swing, like without the ball in my hand. I, I will have my bowling ball in my other hand. So I'll do like a, a practice swing and that kind of refocuses me. And then this is all before I step onto the approach, the wood part of the lane. So this is all like back a little bit. And then I take a deep breath and then I step onto the lane. And then for me, um, there's like, I visualize my target where I'm going to hit on the lane and then I get set. And once I'm about right, just before I'm about to go, I take another deep breath and that just kind of relaxes me. And that also shuts my brain off. And then I go. And after that, uh, depending on what happens, then I also do like a, a refocus kind of routine. So if it was a good shot, great. I'll just visualize that again. If it's a bad shot, what I try to do then is visualize a really good shot. And then I go right back into my pre-shot routine. And I think the whole keys for me is like my grip sack, the drying off my hand and swinging my arm back and forth um, as a practice swing. All of those kind of get me set up so that no matter what just happened, it doesn't matter. Now I'm back right here in the present and I'm about to throw this shot. And all of my focus is on this next shot. So, and the deep breaths obviously are key. Yeah. So, that, so really it's a commitment to one shot at a time and you have a definite process. And I think for people listening to this, if you would just rewind the last three minutes and listen to Missy talk through that, but with the picture in your mind of an hourglass and how she p- puts the ball in her hand, grabs the grip sack or the rosin to dry the hand, goes to the air dryer. You can kind of see uh, in your mind, you can get the image of an hourglass coming in from her routine. There's a breath. She throws the shot. And then there's a post-shot routine where she goes through. couple questions to go a little bit deeper on the routine, Missy, if we can. What does the breath do for you? What is it? Why do you do that? So the breath for me relaxes me, number one. And it also, the breath right before I go is kind of like a reminder, like to kind of shut everything off to just let like autopilot go. Um, because when you're actually about to start moving, I don't want a lot of things going on up here. That's when things go wrong when I'm thinking too much. So for me, the first deep breath that I take and I step onto the lane that gets me ready for my shot. And now everything is more focused and it's more focused on that one shot. And I visualize whatever line I am, whether it's a strike or spare. And then as I'm up on the approach, and I'm getting set and ready to go, doing my little fine tuning. And then I take another deep breath that relaxes me and lets me know, hey, it's, it's ready to go. Like it's go time. Mm. And 
no more thinking. <laughs> like so we've, we've talk, talked about, and I've shared the, the visual example, which I probably should share more often than I do. Cause it's such a good one. You're reminding me of it is that that last breath before you start making your approach to the, to the, to your shot in the line is moving from, if you think about two islands, right? There's the island of thinking and what am I trying to do? I'm visualizing my shot. What's it look like? What's it sound like? What's it feel like? Take my breath, exhale, get off the island of thinking into the island of trusting and go to work and just let it happen. It's like the pitcher in baseball or softball who's, okay, what happened on the last pitch? What do I want to do on this pitch? What's it going to look like? What's my target? What's it going to feel like coming out of my hand? I come into the set position with a breath and then I just let it happen and I throw. It's kind of the difference between a thinking mindset and a trusting mindset is Bob Rotella has written a lot about in his book, How Champions Think. And, you know, I think you've, you've clearly demonstrated that as how, how you are able to use that breath to turn off kind of the analytical thinking process and just go out there and compete. When you visualize your shot, You've talked about that a number of times. Is it just an image or are you also tying in other senses, like hearing what it's going to sound like for the ball to hit the lane and then maybe hit the pocket or feel what it's going to feel like for you to make the perfect movement with your arm and your body to get the ball where it needs to go? Is it just a visual thing or you tie in kind of a kinesthetic feeling and a sound as well? For me, uh, I definitely tie in the feel. Um, I definitely, when I'm visualizing what I want to do, and where, um, where my target is, the line that I'm going to make. Uh, I also imagine feeling what it's going to feel like to throw that perfect shot, how the ball is going to feel coming off my hands, uh, how it's going to feel with my body position being stable at the foul line. Um, all of those senses I'm definitely feeling as well when I am visualizing. Excellent. And you talked about when you, after you throw the shot, whether you got a strike or you set up for a spare, when you're coming out into the next shot. So kind of that post shot routine now. And for the listeners, if you think about pre-shot routine is stepping up to the ball return, rosin bag hand over the, over the blower, getting up, taking that last breath. Then she throws the shot. And then when that ball hits the pins and you turn around and start coming back, you know, back towards the ball return or the set tee, that's going to be called the post shot routine or coming out of that hourglass. And Missy, one of the things you said was you say great, good, or needs work. Would you expand on that self-talk for a second? Yes. So instead of, you know, I throw a bad shot and I leave a big split instead of going, oh my gosh, what, what was that? And having all these negative self-talk. Like we all do, like all of us who are rec bowlers do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so instead of having all of those things pop into my head, um, what I've learned is that it's really good for me to just evaluate kind of neutrally. Like, was it a great shot? Was it a good shot? Like maybe I threw a good shot and I left one pin, but it was still a good shot. Or does it, was it a shot that maybe wasn't as good and needs work? So needs work is still staying on the positive side of things instead of saying that was terrible, you know? <laughs> so needs work can get me to then think of, okay, once it's not my turn and prior to my next shot, now I can get my mind thinking, okay, what do I need to do to fix that? Um, so for me, it allows me also then to get back into my regular routine and forget about whatever just happened. And the, also the key thing for me is if it's a needs work shot is I immediately, as I'm walking off the approach, I might look like I'm staring into space, but I'm actually visualizing the perfect shot that I would have liked to make. And that for me immediately helps me to get me back into my next shot 
and being in that moment. So good. So good for listeners and just the detail and the routine. And you think about when we, if you turn on TV and you watch someone bowl, you're like, okay, well, they're just out they're They're out rolling a ball down a lane, hitting pins. And when you look at it, it's like, there's so much more that goes into it to be able to do it at such a consistent level that they're doing all these mental game things, visualization, self-talk, seeing, feeling, hearing, there's a routine, there's a meaning with a grip sack, there's a meaning with the deep breath. And I think some, so many times you guys as professional athletes and professional bowlers, you make it look so easy. But there's so much going on that I would imagine that type of attention to detail for a shot over and over again for an entire round, you've got to be exhausted mentally when the tournament is done for the day. Absolutely. And on our women's tour, we bowl a lot of games. So for all those listeners out there that might bowl recreationally, uh, one of our days, like our first day of qualifying, we bowl eight games in the morning. We take a little break for lunch. We bowl eight more games in the afternoon. We bowl 16 games and then we wake up the very next morning very early and we do it again. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty much our format. We bowl eight more games in the morning and then um, there's another cut and we bowl six games. So it's 16 games and then 14 games and then a stepladder final, which is the thing you usually see on television. Yeah. One game matches. Um, there's a lot that goes into uh, bowling before you actually see what's on television. And so that's, that's something, you know, to really think about. And also one thing that you kind of mentioned when you're watching bowling, that's very different that the average person probably doesn't know is like for us, uh, I like to relate it to golf a little bit. So the bowling lane actually has oil on it. Mm. You can't see the oil and the oil for most part is part to protect the lane, but also where they place the oil affects how our bowling ball hooks. We can't see it. So all we see is, you know, just the lane out there, just like you guys, but we have to watch what our ball does and then basically make our moves off of that. And to me, the best way to relate it towards like golf is basically we're bowling on a lane where there's bunkers and, you know, crazy things like rough and we can't see it. But we have to figure that out. And that's what the average person doesn't really understand. So there's a lot of also thinking involved every shot because maybe we physically did throw it awesome, but we didn't get the right ball reaction. It didn't strike. It might've even split. And so we have to kind of figure those things out as well. So that's a big portion that, you know, recreational bowlers don't really understand. Well, it was amazing when I had a chance to work, work with you and, and Team USA down at the bowling training facility in Arlington, Texas. And if anyone is ever in the Arlington, Texas area, over by Six Flags is the the bowling. It, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna botch the acronym here, but it's is it the the USBCA training facility? Is that what it's called? So USBC headquarters, and it's the ITRC, okay. so the International Training and Research Center. And, and that's you go, what say, uh, it, it is. It is. I mean, I've not been in a ton of bowling centers, but I would imagine it would be hard pressed to find one that is as dialed in and cool as that one. I mean, high speed cameras everywhere you go and this, the ability to be able to train at such an elite level. And if you're in the area and you can stop by and you're into mental performance, their head coach, Rod Ross, you know, if there's things going on, maybe we'll let you observe and see what's happening, but it, it's tremendous. And when I was there, I got the chance as, you, as all the bowlers are saying, it's like, it's like trying to putt on a green, but you can't see the green or you can't read it. Or another analogy was you're skiing down a hill 
And if you ski down a hill, if you're in the Olympics and you're doing downhill skiing, you know, the first run you're carving in the ice, the next run they're carving in the snow. So if you go first versus you go 20th, it's a lot different because the snow is different. And if you look at a bowling lane, if you get the chance to walk down to where the pins are and you look back the other direction, you can kind of see some of the curvature and the carving that happens in the oil. It's wild how you look in one direction, it looks crystal clear. Other direction, you see it, it looks much more rough. I had never known that that was even a thing until I got the chance to go down there and check that out. So super cool and definitely something that I'd imagine as a bowler takes a lot of time that when you're not actually bowling, you're not completely checked out. You're watching other bowlers to see how their balls respond and things like that too. Could you kind of talk about that? bowling mindset of when you're not throwing the ball and you're watching your competitors throw, how are you taking that information into account for your next shot? So you had the perfect analogy with skiing, by the way. Um, that is a hundred percent how it works. So when we're competing, I'm not just me by myself on a lane by myself. There's usually three or four other people bowling with me. And so you're absolutely right. Um, I might throw my shot, throw a perfect shot. And then I'm watching my next competitor. And I knew um, based on how she throws the ball that she threw a good shot, but she didn't strike. She might've even got a split. And so I'm definitely going to notice that. And I'm probably going to make an adjustment before I even go up on the lane. And those are things that happen at a very high level. Mm. And those are things that take a lot of years definitely to learn. Um, But that's part of kind of the, the bowling um, is just learning those things. And yes, you have to be very, very attentive to what's going on. Like we're not like, especially me, myself, I uh, don't like to talk much when I bowl. Some people do because they need the distraction. That's not me. Uh, I will definitely be throwing my shot. And then I usually just stand in the back. I don't like to sit either. I stand in the back and I'm watching everything that's going on. I'm watching every single shot that's going on because it's just more information and it's just going to help me to make my moves even faster. Because if I don't notice something like that, then I might go up on that same lane the next shot and then I leave a split, which could have been avoidable if I was paying attention. So those are all things definitely that we take into account while we're competing. Yeah. It was so, it's so interesting. I had the chance to work with, with Team USA there in Arlington and then in Vegas. And just, you know, you have six of the best women's bowlers in the world competing for Team USA. And I think we started the training camp, I think with maybe 12 or 15 and then got it down to six and how different everyone is in what they do in between shots from one taking out her cell phone and playing brick breaker to another one, taking in all the data on the analytics or kind of, or the analysis of what's happening. What's it like in someone for someone who's in a sport that's predominantly an individual sport. So when you compete on tour, you're competing for Missy Parkin. It'd be like, if you're golfing, you're golfing 95% of the time, if not more for yourself, then they get into, you know, that, that tournament play us versus Europe in a Ryder cup, or in your case, it's, you know, team USA going to the world championships. How is it different for you bowling as an individual versus say going to team USA and now bowling as a team? Um, it is, it is very different, but uh, I absolutely love it. So because we're all at the most elite level. We are competing against each other most of the time. So we do know each other's games very well because we're used to watching each other, but we're not necessarily, you know, buddy, buddy and talking about what's going on and helping each other out at that time necessarily. Um, but when we're in a team competition like Team USA, I think it's awesome because now we can take all of us that are at the elite level 
And now we get to work together. So all of our minds get to really, you know, work together as a team. And we're that much sharper because we know each other's games. We can tell if like all of a sudden somebody's kind of off with their physical game. We might even be able to help them out a little bit or just talk them off a cliff if they're starting to freak out. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like say, Hey, you're so-and-so you're amazing. Like yeah, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but also then we can really work together well as a team with all those things that I just talked about as far as lane play goes, um, because in a team atmosphere, we are going one shot after another. And so we can tell each other and communicate very effectively with the lanes and what's happening. And that just makes us that much stronger because we can be on top of the moves that much quicker. Awesome. And to kind of shift gears into one of our last questions, I know one of the things that I've been really impressed about working with you, Missy, is this your commitment to consistency and to working on yourself. And let's talk about the app Way of Life and just the amount of detail and the self-accountability and the self-discipline that goes into that. What what is the app and what's the benefit that you found in that as a professional athlete? So I will say that that is one of the biggest things I think too that you've brought to me is the Way of Life app. So it's a way to track um, the things that you say you're going to do. You know, we could all say, like I said, mentioned earlier, we can all say, hey, I want to work out three times a week or I want to go practice four times a week. But if it's not tracked, then are you really being held accountable? And I think, yeah, even me at a high elite level, as a high elite level athlete, I still, yes, I want to go work out three times a week or four times a week and practice X amount. But when I track it, I think it just one makes me more aware, but two, I want to see green. So when you're on the app, if you, uh, basically, um, I have a bunch of things that I track and it keeps getting longer. I just keep expanding it. (laughs) So it keeps getting bigger. Um, but there's a bunch of things I track like my mental imagery, like my meditation, my practices, my workouts. Uh, I even track how much water intake I take, um, my nutrition. And then, um, like connecting with friends and family, a whole ton of things, reading, all sorts of stuff. And every day as part of my PM routine, so as part of my nightly routine, I will go through my way of life app and it's a way basically to just track things. And I, if I did it, I put like that I did it, yes. And it shows up green. If I didn't, it shows up red. So, and then I say how many times a week I wanna do each of these things. So I'm constantly checking my way of life app to make sure that I get uh, everything in each week that I want to get in. Because like I mentioned earlier too, you know, sometimes our days are scheduled a certain way and everything gets thrown out the window because something happens. So I might not have been able to do certain things that I wanted to that day on my way of life app. Well, now I need to reschedule those into the rest of my week. And so by constantly every night checking my way of life app, and making sure I'm on track for the week, then that allows me to not only have great days, but then great weeks, and then great months, etc. And all those things are just helping me to build a better me and be the best version of me that I can be. Mm, So good. So much goodness right there that just the the importance of the self accountability, the importance of the routine, and the importance of measurements. And I think that's the biggest thing for people to take away from your whole breakdown of how you use the way of life is, look, you got to move from talking to talk to walk and walk. 
and measurement is motivation. And when you have the awareness of, okay, this is what I want to do. And even if you just, if you go back and listen to this interview again, you'll hear Missy say with so much conviction, meditate five times a week, visualize five times a week, because she has a plan as to how you're tracking all those things. And, you know, Missy, how important has way of life been for you during this time of uncertainty and this time of craziness that has been COVID-19 where you've had a season, it's canceled. You have a season, it's canceled. You're training in a bowling center, it gets closed down, it opens back up, it gets closed down. It's just constant adapt and adjust. How important has way of life been for you to at least have a game plan to keep that consistency and that kind of edge knowing that you're doing the work that you wanted to do. You just have to be creative and finding a way. So quite honestly, it's been everything <laughs> because if I didn't have this app, uh, I'd probably be like quite a few people I've been hearing on podcasts that are like, oh, I'm watching Netflix. So oh, I'm bored. I'm like, I'm not bored. I have plenty of things I can be doing. Um, so I think it just allows me during this time where I'm not working, uh, I do still have access to a center right now, which is awesome. But in the event that in the towards the beginning, I didn't. So it allows me a game plan so that my days are still scheduled so that I don't freak out over everything. Like I still am working really hard on myself, working to make myself better. And yeah, I will say it was completely devastating to hear that our season got canceled because I worked so hard um, working with you since October, really getting ready for this season. And then to have that canceled, I mean, yeah, I was really disappointed. But at the same time, it also really helped me. I think if you and I hadn't been working together, I probably would have freaked out, you know, a lot more. But now it just gives me that much longer to make myself better uh, to get ready for next season. And it's definitely allowed me to stay focused and be really focused on what I want to accomplish and utilize this off time, you know, this time at home to really make myself better. And that's why my way of life app keeps getting longer. <laughs> so so you've, you mentioned how you keep adding things to way of life. One of the questions I get from people a lot is how much should I have in my way of life? Like what's too much? And I've always struggled to answer that question because I think it's, it's different for every person and it's different for where you're at. Like when you get started, start with three things like make my bed, call success hotline, brush my teeth, you know, like start with, I was doing a call with a, with a college baseball team today. And it was like, that was it. It was call success hotline, make your bed, brush your teeth two times a day. Like just start with those basic fundamentals. And then as they start to have success and it's kind of trying to build you know, do you, do you, do you feel like that there's a time where maybe you have too much on there or are you okay with it continuing to grow? Because as you achieve some of those habits, some of those things just get now kind of baked into your daily routine and you feel like you can put more on there to be accountable to because more things become important. Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely a balance. So for me, I've been able like right now that I'm not working, um, there's no tour. I'm able to add things to it. Now, once we get back to work, um, like you mentioned, I own seven pro shops. So I own Parkins Bowling Supply. We own seven locations. So, and I do a lot of the business end of that. So once we get back on track with that and I'm on tour again, you know, I might have, I'm probably going to have to weed some of that stuff down. But for me, it's, it's all about knowing, okay, how much time do I really have? Because I do still have a two-year-old son that I spend tons of time with uh, and my husband. And I also do have to do some things for our business. So it's knowing, okay, how long is this going to take me? Well, if it's 10 minutes, so don't play on your phone for 10 minutes. I think that's one of the biggest time wasters that people do is sitting there playing on their phone. So 
Um, instead, use those 10 minutes to do something productive. And so I just recently like added word of the day. So I got this app that's word of the day and it's learning like a new word every day and kind of putting that into, you know, your life and actually using it and stuff like that. So I just added that and that doesn't take that much time. Um, and yes, I think that once you get used to way of life, it can become like a little addicting, like in a good way, because you just want to see all the green and you want to see, you know, all the great progress that you've made. And so it does become part of your just natural routine, like my AM routine every morning, I just wake up, I call success hotline, I read daily stoic, I read daily dominator. Um, and depending on the day, then I might do my mental imagery, and I do um, the calm app. And that's what I do. And then certain mornings, also, I throw in concentration grids. And that's just part of my routine. Now it's just what I do. Um, and so I think, you know, it kind of depends individually on what's going on in your life. But think of the perspective of how long you spend on your phone. And maybe that could change some things, you know. <laughs> well, and, and if you're listening to this, I mean, listen to what she just said. Daily Stoic, Daily Dominator, Success Hotline, Calm App, Concentration Grids, all part of the AM routine. And I hear a lot of people, oh, that's too much. Throw in a two-year-old, throw in seven pro shops, throw in training to be one of the best in the world of what you do. Like, quit making excuses, you know, quit making excuses, take an honest evaluation and look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, how good do you want to be? Missy Parkin is one of the best in the world at what she does. And are you catching the amount of commitment that it takes to be the best in the world? And I say this all the time, if your routines and your habits don't align with what your dreams and your vision is. You either need to change your routines and habits or you need to change your dreams and your vision. Because you have, if you got a big dream and a big vision and you want to be one of the best in the world, you have got to have an elite process. And Missy Parkin just outlined about as elite a process as, as we've ever had someone on the podcast do. And she's just hitting the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Miss, dive into well, better how and that reflection that you do each week too with your way of life to kind of have that honest feedback and game plan moving forward. Yeah. So then at the end of the week, then I go back and I look at my entire week of my way of life app. And I will tell you, my way of life app is now like scroll a few times. <laughs> like It's not one page. It's you got to scroll it a couple times. So then I'll kind of reflect on everything that I did that week. And so it's, um, what did I do well that week? What do I want to do better? And how am I going to do it? And I, I write paragraphs, like I don't write one sentence. Oh, I worked out and I practiced. No, like, I really reflect on, okay, what were the things that were really good this week? And that also kind of gives you a little bit of gratitude too. you know, just being accomplished and feeling like, hey, I did these things really well. I got back on track with XYZ, um, or my practices were awesome, whatever it was. And then what could I do better? And really thinking about that. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's pretty obvious, like, hey, I need to refocus on this thing. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I really need to just reflect, like, what do I want to really focus on for this week coming forward? Because um, like this, this last week, I had one of my best way of life weeks. I had a, like a lot of greens, but I still am reflecting on what do I want to do better? Like there's still more that I can do better. 
So what is it? And then how am I going to do it? And having a game plan, because if you don't have a game plan, how are you going to accomplish it? Mm -hmm. So I think that those well, better hows really help me every week to then refocus at the end of the week and get ready for the following week for that week coming up. So good. So good. And, and really when you get into it, simple, right? Mm -hmm. A simple process of what's in my way of life are the things that I want to do on a consistent basis. That is my process to make me the best version of me. Once a week, typically on a Sunday, maybe or a Monday, I sit down, I look at how I, how I performed that week. And I say, what do I want? What am I doing? Well, kudos. What do I want to do better? Kick in the butt. Let's get it going. And then how am I going to do it? You make a game plan moving forward. Then you go to work on your game plan and you rinse and repeat that process the next week. And if people can stay the course with that consistency, they're going to start to see world championship results like you have. And I think the hardest part for people is consistency. So Missy, what's one, if we could remove the skull cap here with our last question, remove the skull cap of everyone listening to this, all the coaches, all the athletes, sports, you name it, they're, they're coming here. If you could remove the skull cap of all those coaches and athletes and plant one seed in their brain that would germinate and allow them to continue to make progress towards that next level, what would that one seed be? Ooh, that's a hard question. Um, I would say there's two things that are really important. I think number one, from a mental training standpoint, I think the way of life app, which we just talked about, because there are times like one of the things that I track is if I eat after eight o'clock. And I am so much like a late night snacker. I want my little dessert. And like, for example, there's been so many times and I let myself do it once a week. So there's so many times where I'm like, I've already done it once a week. I don't want another red. So I won't do it. I won't do it. And if I wasn't tracking it, I guarantee you I would have grabbed some ice cream or something, you know, <laughs> something. Um, but I didn't. And so I think the way of life app is one of the main points that is very important. But number two, from a physical standpoint in my sport and in any sport, one shot at a time, 100% one shot at a time, because you have to be in that present moment. You can't think about anything in the past, or sometimes I would get myself caught up in thinking about the present. I'm bowling really good. And now I start thinking about winning the tournament. No, that's when things start to fall apart again. Sure, sure. You have to stay in the present. And all those routines that we talked about earlier allow you to do that. So I would say one shot at a time for physical game and then mental game is way of life app for sure. And, you know, it's amazing how you just, I mean, we could keep going for days here about how you just talked about you, you're going really good and you go, oh, okay, I can win this tournament. And you're like, no, 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 get back to one shot at a time where I think a lot of young athletes or people that are new to the mental game coaches as well, they think of red and yellow lights as like getting, a, I'm in control of myself, green light, I'm losing control, yellow light, I've lost control, red light. A lot of times they think that they only get into yellow lights and red lights when they're not performing well. And if you look at bowlers, you look at golfers, I hear pitchers say this all the time where they're, they're rolling and they've got, you know, throwing a no hitter through five innings or giving up one hit. And then all of a sudden the wheels fall off, not because bad things are happening, but because they start thinking, I have to keep this really good thing going. And it creates a yellow light or red light instead of just going one shot at a time. Do you find that too in bowling that sometimes lights come from not performing well or performing really well and like trying too hard to make it continue to happen? Correct. Correct. I would say it happens equally as much. Um, at least in my case, uh, I definitely have caught myself way too often 
being on a high and like in the very beginning of tournaments, starting out really good, like 250, 260, 250. And I'm like leading the tournament. And then all of a sudden I'm already thinking about the next day, like the finals or whatever in a couple of days where we're still qualified. And you're absolutely right. Then all the wheels start to fall off because instead of thinking about this next shot and doing exactly what you've been doing in order to have all those great scores um, or the great game or whatever it is in your sport, uh, instead of that, now maybe fear starts to creep in like, mm. oh, what, what happens if I shoot a bad game? Now I'm going to get off track. Or what happens if I can't shoot another huge 250 game? You know, all those things that don't need to be in your head at all start to creep in. And that's when, what happens when you start thinking about the future. And instead, you need to stay right here. And that's why I think that's so important. And I will say meditation has helped me with that tremendously to stay in this present moment focus. Mm. I think that's one of the goals of meditation, right? Is to enhance your ability to stay in the present by either deepening your present moment focus or bringing more awareness to when you're not present and being able to bring it back. Do you feel like through meditation, you become more aware of when you are not present and then you're able to kind of catch yourself and bring it back? Yes, 100%. 100%. I ca- yeah, I can catch myself and then bring myself back to the present. Tremendous. Um, we're here with Missy Park and Missy, I know something exciting coming up here in the month of September for you. September, I think I got on my calendar for the 26th and 27th on Fox. Talk a little bit about that PBA league, if you would. Yes. So recently uh, I was drafted uh, into the PBA league. So the PBA decided since our women's season was canceled, they decided to um, add two full women's teams to the PBA league. So the PBA league is already made up of 10 full men's teams a five man per team and they already had a draft for it well they just had a draft to add two women's teams so 10 women uh, and I was luckily one of those drafted so I am on the Miami waves uh, and we will be um, uh, on Fox on September 27th 28th I think that's a Sunday Monday and so that's when it will air so definitely be on the lookout for that so our women's teams will be going head to head against the guys so that should be a ton of fun uh, so we will be on TV later in September. Sounds like there could be a potential movie being made in the future about September 27 and 28. Let's see what happens. Missy, so excited to have you on the podcast. So great to to just c- continue to hear you talk about the mental game at such an elite level. For our listeners, please be sure to check out missyparkin.com. That's M-I-S-S-Y-P-A-R-K-I-N, missyparkin.com. And follow her on Instagram at Missy underscore Parkin. Missy, thanks for being with us and super excited to uh, check you out in competition on in Fox coming up here in September. Thanks for being with us and sharing your insight in the mental game, your story. Uh, so inspiring. So, so excited to be able to share this with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.